and this is why I'll take Harden over Steph. I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth. But I see new what? evidence now. Yeah, I'll take Harden over Steph. The the Harden that I saw this year, by the way, there was no guarantee he and Kyrie we were doing play so, that way together. We were doing so well. That was Max Kellerman saying more stuff I disagree with. Really enjoyed his visit. Going to check him out and some NBA stuff to get you ready for the playoffs in the open and life advice. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. I want to run through some storylines and some history lessons here to open today's podcast as we get ready for the play-in games this week and the opening of the playoffs. So Utah finishes up the season with the best record in the NBA. That's right. The Utah Jazz finished with the best record in the NBA. So you're like, ah, whatever, weird season. You said it all year long. Yes, I have. But there's still somebody that has to have the best record, and they have it. Now, there doesn't seem to be anybody picking Utah to even come out of the West, never mind win a title. But another number that you should pay attention to here is that they're 17th all-time in point differential. 17th all-time this season. That's a, that's like a significant number. Because when you look at those all-time teams on point differential, they're usually some of the best teams that we've ever seen in this game. Now, you can immediately counter that with last year and say, yeah, wasn't Milwaukee 12th in point differential and they lost in five games in the second round? You would be correct to point that out. But look, that's more of an anomaly than it is. Now, okay, go ahead, Brasillo, pick Utah. Go ahead, pick them. I used to do that to Van Pelt all the time on the radio show where there'd be some team that was good that wasn't getting enough credit and no one was picking, and he would say, they don't get enough credit, they don't get enough credit. And I would just say, hey, pick them then. And then one time he did, and they lost whoever it was, like super early. He was like, I can't believe I got bullied into picking them. When I didn't want to pick them, I just wanted to give them more credit. But if you're not picking Utah, are you – are you not picking them because of something basketball-related? Because basketball-related, there's a million things I like about this team. I love the way they shoot. I love how many options they have offensively. And even though Mitchell can be a little, a little, it's my time to shine at the end of some of these games, at least he has that in him as opposed to some apprehensive stuff we can see from other scores. So, you know, it's still early enough in Mitchell's career, despite some of those concerns, I'd rather go to war with a guy like that um, than not, all right? And we know that Gobert, depending on the matchup, though, is still somebody that can anchors you and has enough size to deal with. I like their size options with Utah better than Phoenix's. Um, you, you've seen this league go small, but then it kind of got big again. And it definitely got big again in the West. And it's also something that you know teams in the East are going to have to deal with with somebody like Embiid. But if this team, which this franchise is true, they haven't been to the Western Conference Finals since 2007, all right? And now you're sitting there with the best record, the one seed, and a chance, a real chance to come out of the West and contend for a title. Because I think we do have six or seven title contenders. Maybe we don't. Maybe we only have one. But it really feels like there's six or seven. Uh, that should be something. And I don't think it is ever something anymore. It's, all right, cool, we're the one seed, but now what? And it's like, well, no, you're the one seed. You work years and years to put yourself in position, to have a place at the table, to have a chance 
to compete for a title. And that's what this front office and organization has done. Gone from, hey, I like some of the pieces. Yeah, they're pretty good. Maybe a tough first round matchup. You know, who knows? Could get to a second round. Maybe even that. But now they're just better. They're better. And I don't think anybody really seems to want to acknowledge it. And look, are you picking against them because of basketball reasons? Or are you picking against them because you're just like, yeah, whatever, it's new, it's jazz. I just don't buy it. I'm not going to go ahead and sit here and pick them. But I do think that those two numbers are worth pointing out. All right. I have Chris Paul pre-worry. Won Western Conference Finals in his career. And that one was sort of great, but also disastrous as they went up against that amazing Warriors team. He gets the leg injury and they miss a million threes. And um, maybe it wouldn't have been remembered as a Chris Paul Western Conference Finals. And it certainly would have been held to the same standard, despite the fact that he played so well that year and they won 65 games. But it's Harden's team, much like the Clippers were Paul's team. So that's also part of it. And, you know, when you look at who they beat in Durant, Durant never felt like it was his team, even though I think most people would say throughout those years, Durant was a better player, even though the numbers would tell you Curry made more of an impact. All right. So before I get into a Warriors rant here, we all know that everybody's had their bad moments, no matter who you are in the playoffs. It's like the first 46 minutes don't count towards your legacy. But Chris Paul, a little mellowish in that, when you go through Melo's first-round losses and all those playoff losses, he always lost to a team that was better than him, I think, except for one time. And then there was another time where the seeding, they were higher, but the record was tied, I think, when they lost to Utah in the first round during those times. When you go by every single season for Chris Paul's exits, a lot of the times you're like, wait, who was hurt again in that series? And that's the problem. It's always these guys that are hurt. Now, Phoenix has been healthy almost all year long. I mean, everybody's missed a couple players here or there. But for them, it's their matchup. So, yes, if Paul loses in the first round years from now, we'll go, wait, wasn't he in the MVP conversation? He was almost as a nod to his career work, the way somebody gets an Oscar after they're like, this guy hasn't got one in 30 years. Let's just give it to him. Um, Paul isn't going to win the MVP. He's going, to get, he's going to get consideration because of the respect for him. But I just don't know... Like years removed, if people will say, oh, he lost in the first round, or they're going to go, remember the Lakers? They were in the play-in game, and then that was the worst possible matchup for him. Although I still am tempted just to go ahead and pick Phoenix to come out of the West, just to do something a little different. When I said before that there were seven contenders, but maybe there's only one, that's because I'm talking about the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets have played eight games with Harden, Durant, and Kyrie. And I was reading some of Nash's comments, and they lost Joe Harris for a couple games, and he said, you know, I don't think we've had the big three guys plus Joe Harris playing with either of our centers with Claxton and Blake. So there's a good chance the closing group that we'll see in big playoff moments from the Brooklyn Nets have never played any combined regular season minutes. I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm, I'm on that one. Is there any precedent for this? Uh, because the big three together, when they did play, we knew the offensive numbers were off the charts. It was 119 per 100 possessions. But the real numbers that I would look at when they got that first run together, when they'd have some fourth quarters where those guys were closing, it was just some absurd number that was like 130 points per 100 possessions. I mean, it's just, it doesn't happen. And they were doing it. And that's what should perhaps scare the rest of the league. Because, you know, I was actually talking to somebody with the Jazz yesterday and we were kind of going over some of the teams and it was just kind of fun. And then, you know, I got off the phone and started thinking about it. Like, yeah, maybe Utah should feel great about this. There is no prime Golden State. There is no 72-win Chicago Bulls. But maybe do we actually have one of those teams in Brooklyn? The weird thing being, we've just never seen them play together. They exist. They're there. It's real now. But we've just never seen them play, which is kind of an odd concept that maybe we have one of these all-time great teams, but we just don't know what to do with it because they didn't play together this year. Again, is there a precedent for this? The 2001 Lakers, I looked this up, their top three players played 10 regular season games together and then won a title. 
Now, it depends on who you think the top three are of any title-winning team. I'm sure there's other stuff historically you could go through and dig, but I did find this yesterday. I don't know how many years we're going back here, but Shaq, Kobe, and their third best player that year, Derek Fisher, played 10 regular season games together. So let's go down and look at some of the big threes. Now, we've been spoiled with the big three part of it over the last decade. And it started with LeBron's Heat team, then they transitioned into Golden State. I think there was a little Cleveland in there. You know, that San Antonio team that, you know, won one of two titles. And, you know, I don't think it's fair to say, hey, they should have won both. Yes, but if they win the first one, do they, are they as motivated to win the second one? Human nature plays a factor in this, so we give them the one. Um, their third best player is actually pretty incredible statistically if you look at some of that stuff. But the the poster, like when you see the poster of the three stars on a basketball team, We've really never had a better run than these last 10 years. Yes, the Lakers and Celtics of the 80s are up there, um, and you could argue maybe even better, but that's like two teams over one stretch. Uh, you could even go back to the 60 Celtics, loaded with Hall of Famers, different time there. That Lakers team that won finally in 71-72, loaded team as well. But I think we could all agree that when you have Chris Bosh as the third best player or Clay Thompson as the third best player or Kevin Love as the third best player and Love is a step down from those other two guys that I've talked about, like we got really spoiled. And even with the Lakers last year, we're going, okay, they're good, but who's their third guy? Who's their third guy? And then you realize, you know what? There's not another team out there that has the third guy that you're competing with. It's like a certain Hall of Famer and we needed to get over it and we didn't and then they won and we're like, okay, I guess we're over it now. But we have it again in Brooklyn and this one is absurd. And even though... You know, I'm going to ask Max Kellerman about this, and I think he likes this Brooklyn version better than the Golden State version. I would disagree. But if we go back and look at some of the big threes that we've had, you know, the third best player on that Celtics team in 2008 was Ray Allen. Really good, but I don't know that it's what you have in Brooklyn. The Lakers' third best player after Kobe and Powell, it's probably Lamar Odom or Bynum. Some may say Meta World Peace. Statistically, that wasn't really the case, but now we're seeing the theme here, significant drop-off. Dallas, give me a... I mean, Dallas had Dirk, and then it's a collection of Jason, Terry, Sean, Marion, Karan Butler, a 37-year-old Jason kid. Miami's 2016, Shaq, Wade, we get it. But the third-best player, Haslam, I know I think you, Antoine Walker scored the third-most points per game for that team. Even the 72-win Chicago Bulls, we got Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. And then after that, it's, it's probably Kukoc, Rodman, although a Hall of Famer, a different kind of player, offensively, somebody you could ignore completely in today's game. Um, that's a drop-off. I mean, look at 1994 Houston. Hakeem Olajuwon, after him, it's Otis Thorpe, Kenny Smith, Vernon Maxwell, Robert Ory. I mean, that's a weird group here. So even though it doesn't feel like on paper we have one of these all-time great teams, it's because we didn't get to see it. We just might have it. Final one, and that is the timeline of a superstar. I saw a headline the other day that said, now or never for Milwaukee. Um, maybe it feels that way. But does it mean if Milwaukee loses in the first round, that 26-year-old Giannis, like, it's over? Of course not. It's not over. Maybe Milwaukee loses this year in the playoffs in a disappointing. Maybe they lose in the first round. Maybe they lose in the second round. Maybe they lose next year in the playoffs, and it's disappointing. And then maybe when Giannis is 30, he wins a title. So the idea it's now or never, I know it's a great headline, it's just not accurate. It's just not. But that's what we start to do with our superstars. We fall in love with you, and then we find reasons to no longer be in love. And, 
I mean, when you think it's happening to Giannis, which I predicted, not because I'm smart, it's just because of what we do when it's new and it's exciting and you're thinking, I've never seen this before. And in Giannis's case, it definitely was something new and it's happening with another player as well. But we'll go through it. I don't know if Paul George is the right comp because like Luca is going to become Giannis as Giannis becomes the other really good player that we're like, hey, if you're an MVP and you're one of the best players, aren't you supposed to carry your team at least to like an NBA Finals? And it's not like it's a bad team around Giannis and he's doing this by himself. This team has put up together some really nice regular seasons the last couple of years. But the reason I bring up Luka is that Luka coming off of last year's playoff run in a first round loss to the Clippers. But remember these numbers through that six game series, 42, seven and seven, 28, eight and eight. He had a triple double in game three. He wasn't very good. He shot it bad. 13, 10 and 10. Then he comes back from a disastrous game three, scores 43 with 17 boards and 13 assists. Then goes for 22, 8, and 4. They got crushed in game 5 by 43 points. He comes back in game 6, 38, 9, and 9. So even though Luka lost, he was still so young, two years in, that you're like, okay, this is amazing. He's the preseason favorite to be the MVP. But Dallas feels like as a franchise, kind of in the same spot that they were last year, despite changing some of the personnel around him. So if Luka were to get bounced in the first round, then you know what's going to happen. It's going, wait, I thought this Luka guy was the shit. He can't even get out of the first round. Luca becomes Giannis. Giannis becomes, again, whoever else it is. And we're going to do it to Zion because we do it to guys. Now, did we do this to guys when we were younger? Kind of, but not in the same way. Because if we go through history, some of the top players of previous generations, let's run through some resumes real quick. Isaiah Thomas, it took him year six to get to his first Eastern Conference Finals. Michael Jordan, we know that it was seven years to reach an NBA Finals. And he did well once he got there. Michael Jordan was 1-9 in his first 10 playoff games. I think he was 5-15 in his first 20. 1-9, 5-15. Shaq, eight years to get a title because he did have that NBA Finals there with Orlando. Carl Malone, one Western Conference Finals appearance in his first eight seasons. Barkley, nine seasons for his only NBA Finals the first year that he went over to Phoenix. So, we didn't write these players off back then. Sure, we could get frustrated in each individual fan base, the selfishness of thinking it's unique to you that you think you're the only one experiencing pain when all these other guys can't get past the hump because there's some other really good team out there that's in your way. I think we were a little easier about it. Even though there's pressure, the rings part of today makes you kind of think that if you don't do anything in the playoffs, that everything else you're doing is borderline worthless, which is totally unfair. Maybe worthless is harsh. But like, here's two really good examples to close this up. Carl Anthony Towns was on the GM survey going back to 2017-18. He was selected by 29% of the GMs for NBA.com. If you were to build your franchise around any player in the NBA, who would you pick? Carl Anthony Towns won with 29% of the vote, beating Giannis, beating LeBron, beating Kawhi, and beating Kevin Durant. Now, it was starting your franchise. Again, this is only three years ago, so you can understand why LeBron would be lower. Durant's injury history, Kawhi's injury history, um, although picking him over Giannis seems absurd. The only thing that's more absurd is that the year before, the GM selected Carl Anthony Towns with 48% of the vote. That means half the NBA general managers said, give me that guy over every other player in the NBA. Give me him. And when I watch him, and I know the Minnesota franchise has had all sorts of changeover and turmoil and all that. I go, <laughs> how many guys would I pick today before I would pick him? It also proves how hard the job is, not that everybody's an idiot. But think of this as we close. 
Kevin Garnett, when you think of him inducted into the Hall of Fame, you think of his career, and you think of the things you saw him do in Boston, you'd say ultimate winner, right? Is that fair? I mean, doesn't it feel that way? I mean, ultimate winner versus a Bill Russell resume or a Jordan resume, that's not the same thing. But when you think of him night in and night out and the culture change that he brings to your franchise, you'd be like, that's the kind of guy I want in my building every single night. I think most of us would agree that's a fair assessment of who Kevin Garnett is, the ultimate winner, except he was the ultimate loser before he ever even got to Boston. Think of this. Kevin Garnett lost seven straight first-round playoff series. Seven straight, he didn't get out of the first round. He was the ultimate loser, and this did come up. I mean, that was the criticism. Yep, great physically and all that kind of stuff, but doesn't do this, not assertive enough offensively. And actually, he still never was as assertive as I thought he should have been offensively. But his story completely changed, even though I don't know that he necessarily changed as a player. And it kind of gets to my final point, is that I'll have just a rotating list in my head of players who I think are great players, who I think are winners. But I think there are winners that don't win and losers that do sometimes. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it's been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Max Kellerman, first take, Max Kellerman radio show on ESPN. And I would I would say this, Max doesn't know this. We don't have, I mean, we're, I guess we're cool. We don't. We're not like we're talking that much. I enjoy Max's show as much as any on the radio lineup. I find myself in the car more for it. Um, and I think the great thing, too, is that I don't always agree with it, which is not the point of any of this stuff, is that you want to listen. You want to listen to a guy. And when I listen to you now, we're kind of removed from it just as as a consumer. I'm like, you know what? I, I like your show better than everybody else's. And I don't mean That's that a as a slight. Compliment. I don't mean as a slight towards anybody else's, but you're the one where I go, you know, I just know Max is on it no matter what, even if even if the topic or itself or just the the take. There have been times I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, I just appreciate the job that you do solo radio two hours. We all know how hard it is. And I and I think you're terrific at it. That's a, that's a big compliment. You and I, it's funny because you and I like have past each other in the industry for a bunch of years. Hey, Ryan, what's up? And always like friendly, but really haven't had any like substantive talks off camera or microphone. And we've probably been up for some of the same radio gigs, I imagine, at different times. I take that as an enormous compliment because I think you do great work. Well, I appreciate it. All right. So let's start with, let's get into it then. You have been on the Nets thing big time. 
I know you love the offensive efficiency. We know what they are capable of. Are you so married to the Nets rolling through it that you have to kind of position it that you can't see any other outcome, especially out of the East? I can't. I mean, I well, like there's always a what if, you know, if there if injury becomes an issue or if the Nets don't have what was crazy about the Nets is they Harden shows up in my line that I've used so much that Kendrick Perkins mimics me when I use it, fat and out of shape, looking like a hot mess, a 30 point triple double, like, and in wins, in wins, right? And then it was him and KD, no Kyrie, him and Kyrie, no KD, just him, doesn't matter, winning four out of every five games. But the offense, as great as it looked early, I don't, the defense was like historically bad, like the worst ever. But within, I don't know, three weeks, they were like an okay defense. And that's all they have to be is okay. So I guess if they haven't given themselves enough runway right now to get the defense to like okay instead of historically bad, maybe someone has a chance. But Ryan, even then, they're going to score 130 points tonight. you got to figure out how you're going to come up with your buck 30 to beat them. And, you know, like – I don't see it. I think I think if they're all healthy, they're going to romp to a title. And that's where I, I think all of us that do this for a living, like it, it's hard for me to counter any of that, right? Because yeah. it's it's absurd they have the record they have, considering how they didn't have those three guys. I think for even ten games during the regular season, um, eight, eight, right? So Harden comes back; he looks even more out of shape than when they started the season in Houston. It doesn't matter. The Kyrie part of it, which I don't love, where he's in and out of it. And then you look at the final stat line and you go, this is ridiculous. And KD, who's just trying to find a way, but even in the limited time that he's played. So when I talk up Philadelphia, I don't do it to be dismissive of Brooklyn. And yeah. I know that even picking Philadelphia may seem may seem stupid as we go through and agree on the Nets part of it. But do you think if the Nets were to win a title it would change, have a lasting impact in the way people look at a regular season that they're already a little bit over where you start to think like, if you just have the right guys, you don't even need to play together. No, like, I does, don't. Doesn't it like hurt the concept of everything we grew up with? I don't. I don't okay. think, I think everyone recognizes this is a special thing. And by the way, I like Philadelphia a lot. Like who's the best defensive player in basketball? Ben Simmons. Unless it's Embiid, who's right there with Gobert or anybody else. Unless it's Thibel, who's probably going to be the best defensive player in the league in like a year or two, right? And and if Simmons could shoot, he, he doesn't even need to shoot from distance. Get a, a 12-footer, a little floater, like do something where you're not in the right? Because they'll give him up out to 15 feet. But so like I like Philadelphia a whole lot. This is a special situation with the Nets. And let me tell you what I've come to realize. People see KD. He was the first guy in. And they think Warriors. This is like a big three, unlike even the Warriors, because at least against the Warriors, like you really couldn't do anything once KD joined that team. But at least make Clay Thompson put the ball on the floor and make decisions with it. Like he can do that. But that's not what he's out there for, right? But who, he's their third best offensive player. Make him do that. You're going to do that to Kyrie Irving? Good luck, right? There's never been a collection of three guys with who can all get their own shots from anywhere at historically elite levels and hit them from anywhere at historically elite levels and are also playing unselfishly. So everyone's thoughts, I think, go to like, this is like unlike anything since the Warriors. But Ryan, it's worse than that for the league. What was the one team? Because it wasn't the Cavs. Cavs had LeBron and Kyrie and, Kate and, and, and Kevin Love. And going into those series, it was like, it's done for LeBron because he can't compete. This was a 73-win team. It took his, a miracle to beat. They added KD and basically didn't subtract anything. Of course you can't beat that team. LeBron had no shot, even crewed up. 
Who did? James Harden and the Warriors, Mike D'Antoni, James Harden, and, and the Houston Rockets hosted a game seven against the fully loaded KD, you know, Steph, everybody, Warriors that no one should have competed with. Didn't have Chris Paul. At one point missed 27 consecutive three-pointers and lost by single digits. So this whole thing like D'Antoni can't win a championship, actually, D'Antoni's brand of let's play only the most efficient offensive basketball ever seen, even if it's not like fan-friendly all the time, got them way closer to beating a team that was far more talented than them, right? They should never have gotten that close. D'Antoni had his point guard, his muse. It was Harden. And playing his system, they came way closer than they ought to have come to winning the whole thing. D'Antoni still has Harden playing point guard. It's really D'Antoni running his old offensive system, only now he has KD and Kyrie. This is not the Warriors. This is the D'Antoni Harden Rockets with KD, Kyrie, and by the way, Joe Harris, who's like the best three-point shooter in the world. Who's going to stop? If they can, with almost nothing, almost beat the Warriors, who's going to stop them when you give them basically the Warriors? I, a couple things there. Um, I think the historic numbers, the per 100 that you've cited throughout the year, and you're right, the track that Brooklyn was on, is going to be the all-time highest, but that's after Dallas just had the highest ever, and there's no way any of us would ever look back at the Dallas Mavericks from last year and be like, because the stat says that, that that's the best offense that we've ever seen, because we have a rising tide thing that's happening in the NBA. We're at the highest offensive efficiency league-wide by almost two points this year off of last year. So contextualize for the, yes, I agree. So right. like once you contextualize so, it, yeah. So I would rather have Steph than Harden. I would mm-hmm. rather have the KD from Golden State than this KD. But that's only because we've only had limited versions of this one. But I think it's a safe bet. If you want to take Kyrie over Clay because of the handle and all that stuff, that's fine. But I think the part that you just hit on, even though I, I put Steph ahead of Joe Harris, is just the best shooter in the world. Well, yes, absolutely. <laughs> By the way, you're right. I can't argue that. I know. I know. Steph Curry's the greatest shooter of all time, of course. Yeah. But to have the fourth shooter, because what happened in that Houston series, you're absolutely right. Not only was it D'Antoni's offense, it was their defensive approach to say, hey, we're going to guard three guys because actually Golden State doesn't have enough shooting. Like you're putting non-scoring threats out there with Draymond, who the league started to figure out, like, look, he's not even looking at the rim sometimes. The Joe Harris part of it really screws you up because now if you're playing four out, I, I, you know, I'm with you. I think it's scary as hell. I think I'd pick Philadelphia to be maybe different, but also because I was hoping that it actually meant something to kind of have your group for five months together, that it actually still was supposed to mean something. Because I think Brooklyn winning it is going to lead to a league that already has kind of had about their top 20 players pun on most of the regulars, not most of the regular season, but almost 25%. Who can do that, Ryan? Like you, they can do that because, and this is why I'll take Harden over Steph. I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth, but I see new evidence now. Yeah. I'll take Harden over Steph. The the Harden that I saw this year, by the way, there was no guarantee he and, Kyrie we were, were doing play that way together. We we're doing so well. There's no guarantee he and Kyrie were going to play that way together. In fact, when it was KD and Kyrie, I was like, they're not going to get out of the East. Then they got Harden. I said, I don't know that that even makes them better because they were, I, I guess what happened was once they got the injury, right? Then they're like, between Dinwiddie, Levert, everybody they had, they thinned out. So really now they had to get more top heavy, I think. And I think that worked, but I wasn't sure. Like Clyde Frazier and Earl Monroe, there was no guarantee like the whole thing was there's only one ball are they going to figure this out and I was watching to see will Harden and Kyrie figure this out not only did they figure it out and kind of right away but I've never seen Harden play like that I thought that was LeBron James level uh 
orchestration of an offense, but the difference between Harden and LeBron is whoever could orchestrate an offense pass like that with that kind of court vision and also hit a shot from anywhere. Because LeBron can shoot, but he's not a pure, he's not like really a shooter. Harden really is, not like Steph, no one is. But I've but Harden's size, strength, he's better on defense than Steph. And the way he orchestrated that offense, Ryan, I legitimately, when I was watching him for the first time ever, thought, is he the best player in basketball? The postseason will determine that. But you've given him weapons now where he doesn't need to score 50 points for his team to win. He can score 18, 20, 23 points and use his weapons in a way that he's never had the chance to before. Harden's terrific. I'm not denying that, but but you lost me when you said Steph. You would take Harden over He's Steph. Better. And the in the defensive part of it, Harden gets so much credit for like these two post defensive possessions a game that the announcers always freak out about and be like, oh, he's so good in the post. He's the 90th percent and all this different stuff. And you're like, it happens like twice. Uh, Steph is far more locked into team concept. Steph was yeah. the front guy for a team during that Warriors run where I think they were the fourth. They were four times the best defense, and I think the fifth year they had slipped off a little. Um, this year, Steph's defensive numbers haven't been as good because everything is on him in a way that he hasn't had before offensively. But the playoff resume, like I don't think you can pick Harden over Steph after what happened when Steph went crazy in the second half and Harden's out there. Harden has so many playoff flameouts that that's where my love for Harden uh, although some would argue their love for Harden, because I didn't like the whole Houston thing. I went on a crazy rant about it. Um, Harden, Harden just has too many too many games. There's like five or six of them in the playoffs. You're like, what the hell? Everybody had some bad playoff games, but Harden has a lot of bad ones Dude, for me to go. I'm no, that's Ryan. the guy. So you, you trust that Harden more than this, Steph, or is it just about this no, year, Max? No, a lot of this is predictive. And plenty of my predictions. Okay wrong like I thought look Kawhi looked amazing in the finals he's going to do it again LeBron's hurt he's 35 part of it's your your forecasting right I got that wrong um and so I'm forecasting now it's true I think a hundred percent I think I've been yelling that as loud as anyone like I call Harden a choker I think he's straight up like when your level Peyton Manning once upon a time was a choker right when your level falls from oh my god this might be the best we've ever seen to much much less than that in the highest leverage games that affects your position negatively, big time. I will point out that Steph, well, he was hurt. He was this, he was that. Greatest half-court offense ever. Fate of the universe on the line. Game seven, fourth quarter at home. Four minutes and 22 seconds. Ryan, they didn't score a single point. Not a single point. Like, that's maybe, that's up there with the greatest choke jobs in the history of American team sports. Golden State. That was Steph's Golden State. He's throwing the ball out of bounds. He looks scared to shoot. He can't hit four minutes and 22 seconds. You can't muster a point in the last fourth quarter at home game seven to have the greatest record ever and win the championship. So it's not like Steph hasn't come up small too. Now, Toronto, he was amazing. They lost the series, but they had no chance. And he, he shot great. But I've also questioned the, the version of Steph we get when we, when we want it most. Now, to be fair, he's been better than Harden. I am, I am, I agree with you on the record that Harden's choke jobs in the playoffs should put Steph above him. I am predicting. I see every year Harden gets a little better under pressure, a little better under pressure, and I'm predicting that given his role on this team, his team will romp to the finals and he will be the team MVP. He'll be the MVP of the finals. And I think at the end of this season, our perception of Harden will have changed. But I, well, I agree. It always. Right. It always changes once you win. Like all the things that you did bad somehow go away. And then when you don't win, like all the things you did well don't count. 
Um, I also think there's something about Steph's movement that changes the way a defense freaks out where Harden, when he would decide, hey, I'm not in the play, I'm going to stand here. And people in Houston try to argue with spacing. But guys that played with him were like, this sucks because now everybody just helps off of him. I don't want to do 30 minutes on just this, even though this is really good. But I think it leads into perfectly like some of the Steph stuff. Because I think people look at you if they don't know you and they go, okay, what's the deal? You know, it's first take. I've done the show a couple times. You go in there, you prep, you start hashing out, trying to figure out which side of the argument you're on. And it is a classic debate show. And when you are, I always kind of say like married to something where it's like, maybe there's a ton of evidence and this thing's like turning around. Like we're all getting shit wrong all the time. Like we get, that's part of the deal. But for you, where is there a line where you'll be like, okay, I'm going to go this way. And I believe it now, but I might not. And then you may not believe it, but you feel like you can't deviate from it. I think the Iguodala Curry shot one is the one you catch the most heat for. But there's a. I'll defend that right now. You still believe you still want Iguodala taking the last shot. New evidence comes out, and you have to adjust your opinion. Okay. So Steph, till that point, Ryan, I don't care what anyone said, he was scared in the biggest moments. How does the greatest shooter ever? We all acknowledge it. Consistently not hit the biggest shot in the finals is consistently not the same player that he normally, oh, he's getting more defensive attention. What, Michael Jordan didn't? Like, a lot of guys get more defensive attention. And I wasn't, and I I even prefaced it by saying, I'm not talking about creating the shot. I realize Steph can go make the shot. Iguodala needs to get the ball just right. But open shot, fate of the universe on the line. I trust the Iguodala, not nearly, not even a good shooter. But there are, look, who would you rather have had up in the clutch back in the day? Luis Soho or Alex Rodriguez? Talk to real Yankees fans, they'll tell you, Soho. Soho, under pressure, you trust him. A-Rod had something going on inside. Hated him. Hated him. Looking at, he'd be at second base with his helmet, looking back at the dugout in a big spot. I hated Luis Soho. (laughs) Right, right. So there are some guys you trust in big situations different. Now, would I ever compare Soho to A-Rod? Of course not. I'm saying... They're at the plate, two strikes, World Series on the line. There was a time where real Yankees fans would have told you, or forget so, Scott Brocious. They would have rather seen Brocious. Scott Brocious, 98. Okay. Couldn't believe it. That's what I'm saying about Iggy. Iguodala, open shot, so he doesn't have to create it. It's not he has the ball, but you're looking at the basket, dude. You should be able to hit this, right? But Martian's got the death beam pointed at Earth. In other words, Ryan, it's game seven, 422 left, fourth quarter. You're trying to be the greatest team whoever that ever was, 73 wins. I saw Steph unable to do it. Iggy doesn't care. He's got ice water. Now, that doesn't mean because Steph was once like that, he'll always be like that. It does not mean that. You guys can get comfortable in a situation, given enough reps, and come through. And I think I trust Steph in that situation now. But at the time I said it, not only do I believe it, I was right. I was right. I'll argue it still back from, you know, the Steph back then. Here's what I, I like about you, though, is that there's always, I think some people in the debate business have a nastiness to them where I'll be like, okay, like, we can all guess who I'd be talking about in general, not even one specific name, but I, I think there's a, a nastiness where it's like, you're so married to something and it, like maybe you're just doing this reaction. I always thought with you with the Ego Dollar thing and some of the other times where I'll be like, he's got this wry smile. Like there's this little smile coming from Max where I go, am I, am I a hundred percent in on this one? Cause I understand your point is Steph in game, game seven. He sucked. He threw it out of bounds in the corner. 
Um, you know, look, he tried to shoot a three over Kevin Love. It wasn't that he couldn't take him, which he's even admitted after the fact. And he missed that shot, too, and that was a big spot. But I think it's incredibly dismissive of all the other little things, even though I would defer to the part about Harden with his physical nature and being able to drive with his big ass and hips and shoulders, that there's a, there's a physical part of his drives where, you know, that was a limitation that Steph would have in some of those playoff moments. But I think the overall commentary part of it is where – uh, somebody for me who did the job, sometimes I'm like, I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure. And you just sold me. Well, you didn't sell me. I didn't change my mind on it, but I get like, you've well, convinced you know, me you believe it. You've convinced me you believe it. Right. You jogged a few things in my head just then. First of all, um, what we're doing in the TV business, as opposed to a podcast or a radio show, which is unpacking is the opposite. This is synthesis. So do you guys really disagree on everything? No, we agree on most things. But the work in the show, in the meetings and everything, is finding out where the disagreement lies. Now, in this business, as you know, the hot take, you know, if you have 10 hot takes a day, you're insane. Because <laughs> most of what we think intuitively is correct and agree upon is correct, right? But sometimes, a, min a minority of the time, the counterintuitive position is correct. And if you've done real thinking, you come to a counterintuitive conclusion. Now, if you're in that position, <clears throat> and there are a hundred people telling you you're wrong and you're the only one saying you're right, you should reconsider. You should think carefully about what, you're, what you think. But if you've thought it through and said, nope, I still believe it, then you have to lead with that. And in TV, that's the hot take, right? Like you're not starting with your analysis. You're starting with your headline. Here's what I think. And people see a counterintuitive headline and they go, this person's crazy. Now they want to watch. And then you have about 90 seconds to go through your thinking. And either you'll convince people at that point or you won't. Now, there are arguments where I'm like, so I really have a point to make. Like today, is this the greatest Hall of Fame class ever? Kobe, Duncan, and Garnett? Yeah, yeah. But I think there's a case to be made, and I want to make the case for Jordan, Robinson, and Stockton. Because if the greatest player of all time is being inducted, that's, that's a big thing in your favor. And then also, I just feel like Robinson and Stockton have become underrated. And I want to point that out. I want to use this time to point that out. So when you say like, wry smile, I'm kind of admitting the whole time, I don't know if I can win this argument, <clears throat> but this is a point I want to make. So, so like David Robinson, we just forgot because Olajuwon did him. Olajuwon did Shaq, Olajuwon did Ewing, Olajuwon did everybody. But David Robinson was a great player. And so was Stockton, who's kind of getting slept on nowadays. Um, but Stockton was a great player. So I just want to point out, hey, these two dudes are underrated and Jordan was in that class. Let's not be so quick to dismiss them. That's an example of, am I really arguing that it's the best one? Maybe not. I just think an argument can be made. See, I love what you just did there because you explained the TV business specific to your show in just a very short amount of time. I like how you said, and then I'll make my headline and make my point for 90 seconds. I would say on first take, make my headline and then have seven minutes to make my point. Um, <laughs> because the monologues can go, uh, <laughs> uh, the Brady one is the one you get all the shit for. And I'll admit, I used to argue with Canelo about it all the time back when we were still doing radio together because he was like, why can't he play until he's 45? And it just, it didn't make any sense. We're like, look, just because you're determined and you're going to be pliable, like this is ridiculous. And now we're heading towards, he's going to be 44 entering the season. It's So here's where I think that you know how the business works. And I'm going to tell the people that are watching it. 
Like it's not whether or not you like a Max or you like a Stephen A. It's you heard him say something the previous week. We get the result over the weekend. We get the result in a playoff game during the week. And then you go, now I want to see what that guy said, especially if he was wrong. So when you were on your Brady's going off a cliff phase yeah. and they beat the Chargers in a playoff game, and I I was like, I'm going to see what Max has to say. So I tune in. And I'm not like a religious watcher. I got stuff going on. You know, I'm usually prepping for everything that I'm doing. And you were like, Brady's throws were wide open. <laughs> and I was like, he is not even, he's not even close to nudging. It is far too early for Max to concede anything yet. He was like, now nah, those are easy throws. The 21 and 22, like they were wide. And I was, and I was sitting at home laughing and I wasn't mad. And I think other people get mad. I think, you know, clearly my experience with it is a little bit more unique being in the building for a decade and a half. But those are the times where I'm like, okay, you're not, you just know you can't give up yet because it was too strong. And you've admitted since then, like, hey, look, I was wrong because the guys, the guys defied logic when it comes to longevity. Well, I think, I think like if the history of the planet Earth does not provide you even a single example of someone doing something and then someone appears to be doing it, you have to ask yourself, are they really doing it? Or is there something amiss? I mean, are they actually in decline? And <clears throat> I did notice, <clears throat> for, for example, two years ago with Brady, I thought he was missing receivers every way you could. Now, people would point out, these are new receivers and they're not very good, right? Like, so he's not, and also his throws were going shorter and, and was not, it's just not as sharp as three years ago, right? I'm not talking about last year. He was very good last year in Tampa. So one way to interpret that is, um, well, Brady still can put mustard on a throw. Uh, even if his underlying analytical numbers are like, you know, not great, he can still put muscle on the throw. It's like, yeah, but an older guy can muscle the ball, but when he does, he's going to have a little less control of where it's going, you know? So I'm, I don't doubt he can still, you know, throw a fastball, but can he put it where he wants it every time? It's his brain operate. And the reason I said that was, except for Warren Moon, what Hall of Fame quarterback was ever worth a damn past the age of 41? So he would be shattering the record. And the circumstantial evidence, and, and people seem just, just were turned out to be right and I was wrong, was, yeah, but the Patriots don't have offensive players who can get open, and they're new, right? And so Brady is just, that's why he's looking worse. I'm like, yeah, right. But every other quarterback ever experienced the same thing if they got to be that age. But with Brady, there's special reasons why this is happening to him. And then he went out and proved everyone else right and me wrong. I thought it was a long shot. It was. Like, if you assume, in, in, a, like, in a way, and I meant this, I, and I started going like, I'm the only one who really gets to congratulate him now. If you assume someone's going to do something that's kind of miraculous, it just I assume he's going to do it, then are you, re like, are you really- Is the thing miraculous, right? The kind of, right. Are you really respecting the miracle? You know, no one thought Muhammad Ali would beat George Foreman. That's why it's like, oh, my God, Ali beat George Foreman. You know, no, no one thought LeBron was going to beat the 73-win Warriors. That's why, oh, he slayed the monster. And I certainly thought, and I can't believe most people didn't also think like me, Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, they all, like, they, every quarterback looked like, oh, my God, he's better than he's ever been. He can do this till he's 50 and then right off the cliff. But no, Brady was going to be the exception. And not just by one year, by three, four years. He's going to be like 30% older than everyone else when he's still great. He was. And then you got to give it up. New evidence, you got to change your opinion. Perfect segue into the last few minutes we have here. I just want to follow up on 
you know, as you mentioned boxing there, um, your long history with it. You once, one of the first things you said where I was like, man, that is really good. It was a long, long time ago. It may have been on fight night on the Friday night fights thing with you and Brian Kenny, which is, you know, kind of the start of your career. And I'd, I'd like to do the longer career thing another time with you, but you were like, fighting's everyone's favorite sport. You just don't admit it. And I was like, wait, and you go, if two people fight, you stop and you watch. I was like, that's brilliant. Did you come up with that on your own? Because I loved That's it. My thought experiment. What I would say is if you come to a street, street corner experiment, I call it thought experiment. You come to a corner. One, first, I start like boxing's your favorite sport. You could say combat sports now. I'll give you 60 seconds. I'll prove it to you. No, it's not. It's football. Okay. Come to a street corner, flag football game. Over here, there's a stick ball game. Over here, there's a guy putting a golf ball or a pickup game basketball. And over here, two guys are having a fist fight. Where's the crowd? fist fight if there are 100 people at the street corner how many people are watching anything but the fight none they're all watching the fist fight right so why isn't boxing more popular redo the thought experiment barry bonds is hitting off of roger clemens over here you know peyton manning's throwing the ball to whoever uh you know the, the, uh, marvin harrison over there over here is what and and on the on the fourth corner two no names guys two guys are just fighting you never heard still some people are watching the fight that's how compelling it is but now the crowd is watching other stuff because the way our brain interprets the world and understands things is by storytelling. We put everything into stories. In order for you to care about something, you need to know the characters, you need to care about them, be invested in them. You need to know what they want, what their goal is, what makes them tick. You need to know the obstacle in their path. How big is it? How daunting to overcome, right? And then you're interested and invested. And since boxing has done a very bad job explaining to people who these characters are as people don't know the characters they just don't care as much but intrinsically boxing is the most compelling sport that was that was the that was the whole thought experiment you talked to logan paul recently um and it was good it was i would suggest to people that interview people that are younger to check that out because you're good at interrupting the guest when they're going down the road that you don't want them to go down and you're also with radio on a time crunch um he seemed to be respectful of you, and he doesn't seem to respect be respectful of many people. Where are you with this topic? And just take it wherever you want to go, because people are both offended, and um, others are like, "Hey, this is this is what it is. We love fighting, we love entertaining, so let's start doing different things like this." I can kind of see all the points of it. I'm I feel like I'm still undecided, and I haven't bought any of the fights either. I would say um, I was a boxing person who was not defensive about MMA. Right. And a lot of boxing. Oh, it's this MMA UFC. Hold on. Did you it, box growing up, by the way? What's that? Did you box growing up? Is that where this nah, comes man, from? I, I until my dad took me to the gym, was getting in fights in school at the PAL and back then Hell's Kitchen. And then Dooku Kim was killed by Ray Mancini. And my mother and grandmother said no more boxing. So where I could, I snuck off to the gym, but not serious. OK. Um, and then when I turned 18, I could go full time. Right. So I used to go down to Gleason's. And by then, the same kids who were eight years old, now they're 18. And they've been boxing for 10 years and I hadn't been. So, but at any rate, um, so, so I wasn't defensive about MMA. Why? It's combat sports. You know, like what does that have to do? If anything, boxing should use it as, as an introduction to combat sports. Hey, young audience, the boxing has failed to capture. Maybe you like us too. You like combat sports. I think similarly, boxing and MMA and the reaction that people have to, the, to Jake and Logan Paul is unnecessarily defensive. And the reason I say that is, what about all the fighters coming up and they're getting skipped over? No, connect with an audience. Jake Paul and Logan Paul have connected with an audience 
that they bring to the fights. As everyone said, you don't need to buy it. Don't like Ryan, you don't buy it, so don't buy it. But other people are interested in it. You know what Jamal Charlo says, who's a real good fighter. I want to fight on the undercard. I love what they're doing. And, and, the, and where I draw the line, I would still say, hey, if people want to buy it, buy it. But the reason I respect them is they train hard and do their best. That's all you can ask of anyone. Like, that's what we try to teach our kids, right? Do your best. Put the work in. Do your best. If they were disrespecting the sport by when people say that, what does that mean? It means making a big event, kind of half-assing it in training, showing up out of shape. That's not what they're doing. They're making big events and they're training seriously. And they come in, no excuses, and do the best they can. And people criticize them because their opponent's not in shape. Nate Robinson didn't take it seriously. Well, Nate, take it seriously. It's not on them to make you train. It's on them to train themselves. Well, why isn't he fighting someone better? They just started doing this. <laughs> so, like, they're fighting MMA fighters because they realize we need to make a big event with someone who's credible. People can already see if you're just an athlete and you're not fighting, you ain't going to beat us. So at least Jake has shown that. So we need to fight another fighter. But to fight another fighter with a name recognition to make a big event, it can't be a boxer because that guy would, would kill us, right? Like they've been doing it their whole lives. They've been doing it for, for, for two years, two and a half years. So they look to MMA. Let's find notable fighters in MMA, maybe who don't have great striking skills. Let's make an event. And as they go on, they should be gradually increasing the level of competition. But Ryan, I find what they're doing to be serious and respectful and as much smack as they talk, they're showing a lot of humility about it. Like it takes humility to respect what you're doing, take it seriously, give it your best as a professional. And in the ring, that's what I see from them. So I respect it. As far as them cutting the line, welcome to life. All right, people cut the line. Jake, as you've pointed out, is the better boxer of the two. That's what I saw. Um, and I don't not, you know, I don't not buy them to prove some point. It would just be, you know, I'm usually watching so much NBA. I go, I don't know if I, I have this, you know, and a friend might text me and be like, Hey, I, I got the fight, but you're right. Like everybody thought Nate Robinson was going to smoke him. Cause that's what people wanted. And Nate got knocked out. And then it was like, Oh, well, Nate wasn't ready, which was a joke. It was a joke. As soon as Nate lost, it was like the complete social media part of this turned to 180. that it was like, I can't wait to see him kick Jake's ass to this wasn't fair. And then he beats Ben who's an MMA guy, but he, he just, he popped him and Ben wasn't ready or whatever, but give me in your final thought here, give me kind of a basketball analogy. If, if this boxer is LeBron James, or maybe not even LeBron James, if this boxer is Bradley Beal, what is Jake Paul as a, as a boxer in relation to what an NBA, or maybe is, are we talking G league here? Like what's the gap? Paul is a rapper who was always into basketball, but hadn't played on in an organized way in years and years and years. So he's Jake Cole, right? Like Jake Cole or someone, right? And it's like, you know what? I love basketball. I'm trying to, and, and starts organizing one-on-ones that they're putting on pay-per-view, right? And now has to find the right level where people believe both sides have a chance to win. And importantly, they know the characters. You're invested to go back to this thought experiment. You know Jake Paul and Logan Paul. You know what's at stake for them. And then now let's find the right obstacle, another character who the, who the public knows and believes has chances to win, to make a big event. That's J. Cole doing verses against, uh, you know, but in basketball. He's like, hey, I want to play one-on-one. What basketball player can I pick who's maybe hasn't played in a decade or maybe was, was big in college but never made it in the pros? that I can make a big event one-on-one with 
where people believe both sides have a chance to win. Right. J. Cole is a great example. That was terrific. Make sure you check out Max's radio show, 2 to 4 Eastern, every day on ESPN Radio, and of course, on First Take with Stephen A. as well. Uh, let's do this again sometime, Max. Dude, I appreciate I, how it. How did we go all these years and we never professionally did? I, I guess I really think it's because in, uh, at ESPN, we were up for the same radio jobs and stuff. So, so as, as Wait, like the did- guy, like we just kind of never really crossed paths. There's probably some of that. We're about the same age, both yeah. you know, middle-aged white guys. So you're looking around going... All right, you know, am I competing with this guy? The New York Boston thing, maybe. I mean, yeah. I figured maybe you didn't like me, but then you called me about something, and I was like, "Oh, that was cool." It was about the Chris Paul rumor. I hooked you up too. Remember, you called I me do. to be like Ryan Rosillo said on his podcast. He thinks Chris Paul's getting traded from the Rockets. So you called me, and you didn't. You weren't like, "Hey, what are your sources?" I was like, "Look, trust me on this. He's going to get traded." And you were like, "Cool," because I I, 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 I always liked your work, but Ryan, you know how, especially when you're young and insecure. Oh yeah, you hate everybody else. <laughs> This guy sucks. That guy sucks. But you're not even really paying attention to anyone but yourself. But no. no, I always like your work, and uh, it's a pleasure talking to you. I'd love to know: was there something that I got that you were up for? Because that doesn't seem possible. No, I just remember. <laughs> no, no. I, I, yeah, may, I think maybe, but just being there, are a bunch of local radio guys who, and like I've always done TV, and I've done well on TV. I really love radio. You know, I love doing this. You can actually talk about stuff, and and uh, you can't hide on radio. Like who you are is going to come out. Right. And so and so I think there are a bunch of local guys doing radio. And when one big slot opens up, you recognize I'm going to be someone they consider. And these two or three other guys are going to be someone that they consider. So you were on my radar for that reason. Like, I know they're going to consider Russillo. I know they're going to consider this guy. They'll consider me, you know. And, and so so for that reason, I like I don't remember. the deal. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember much. I don't, I don't think, I, I think it's probably just walking around the building at ESPN and knowing we're all kind of competing. At least that's the way I, but you know, when you're on first take, like I knew that wasn't going to be something that I was going to be doing. And I was kind of happy to doing the radio thing, but it was kind of funny because then they were like, oh, you're having Kellerman on. Like, aren't you a little pissed about the lineup? And I was like, I don't, I didn't even think about it anymore. Like I'm still a huge sports fan and I listen to shows how I listen to them. And I found myself over the last, you know, however long it's it's been with the new lineup that I was like, I feel like I'm always going back to Max's show. I so appreciate I appreciate it. it. It's just age, dude. It's just you get to a certain age and it's like, what well, you know, you, you like what you like. You don't like what you don't like. And all the petty stuff is like, not that it ever was petty stuff, but like that stuff just means much less. Because as you get older, I think you get more secure. So so I, I don't not not that I ever felt any animus. Towards we you. never talked to each other. Yeah. I mean, yep. we I, we never talked to each other. So it was yep. like, then it gets to an awkward point of where I guess I'm not talking to this guy ever. Right. But maybe, but maybe like you, I, we wouldn't seek each other out for info. No, no, I don't think we would. Like, I don't know. It's like a Dear Abby or what's it called? I don't know what it is, but I don't, it doesn't feel like a professional pie. It sounds like we're on a phone call now somehow. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll spare everybody. I know you have to prep for the show. Thanks again. Thanks, I appreciate it. Good talking. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate, is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. 
food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. All right. We got some, we got some people that want to party, Kyle. So, we get, a, we get a few emails here about some people. Okay, all right. First one, I actually really enjoyed this one, except at the same time, I was kind of like, why do you need to ask me what to do here? This one seems fairly obvious. 27-64-240. hey Thick. Do you like to describe yourself as thick, Kyle? Definitely not. I would say no. What do you weigh? I'm like 250. What's the height? 6'3". Yeah, Kyle's a big dude. Yeah. What? Wait, Sarudi, does this that, blow your mind? Did you not? <laughs> I hadn't. I if I was to get you're two fifty. First off, I could see six three. I mean, I've never met you in person, so this is like kind of shocking to me. But I didn't know you had that kind of mass. Oh, oh yeah, it's there. It's there. Damn, dude, is that like a lifting regimen? Like, what's the, I mean, definitely two fifty is like a legit fighting <laughs> deal. <laughs> yeah, I would be afraid of you. Yeah, I mean, if six three. <laughs> 250 is mad at you. It's still 63250. Wait, what are you, Ryan? Uh, like just under 62230. Damn. So you wouldn't even be in Kyle's weight class. Respect. No. Remember, we we had <laughs> this is pre-Sarudi, but we had a moment where we were like, wait, Kyle, do you think you could kick my ass? And there was like an awkward pause. And I felt <laughs> like he just had to say no. I just loved it. I loved the tension. Kyle, thoughts? No? Uh, I'll still say no. Yeah. Well, do either you fight? I mean, I know, Ron, you hit a bag every once in a while, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I screwed around with it when I was younger then had another later phase with, uh, with um, you know, working out with it. But, like, as far as just, just picking fights randomly for long stretches of my life, no, no. And honestly, like, high school, everybody could kick my ass. College, I just was a tad surly, but no one fought anybody, really. I mean, random punch there and there. 20s, you know, I started... Started seeing what I could do a little bit more when you'd be breaking up fights and bars. And I was like, oh, you know, we've got some things going on here. But like an actual tough guy, tough guy. Yeah, I'd get smoked. Surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly at all. I was always the smaller dude that would talk a lot of shit because I had bigger friends, um, which a few times would get me in trouble. I never actually got into a fight, but there were times where my never got into a fight. No, but there are times where my friends would be like, dude, like, I, we're not going to be around. Like, why, stop doing this. Because I would get I mean, who pops in me and I would just start like I would just go up to people and be like, oh, sick Ohio State shirt, dude, loser. And are I, you for serious? No, for no, exactly. Because I just hated Ohio State at the time. I just didn't like Ohio State growing up. Uh, I remember this. And the kid was like on the cheerleading team was at Del University of Delaware. I, I younger Srudy talked a ton of shit, which is like really annoying. I'm like, look back at that and go, that was a dumb decision. But I had bigger friends. So it was fine. Yes. That might be my least favorite Saruti stat. I know. I know. It's a bummer. But 
you don't still do that, right? No, no, no. I stop. <laughs> I stop caring about just about everything at this point. <laughs> I don't argue anymore. We're good to go. I don't know where this this went. I just think the audience right now. There's a lot of people going. Wait, Kyle's six three two fifty. Stunning. He's a big dude. He's a big dude. All right. Um, I guess we just go back to this whole dude. Kyle, you had to have been fighting, though. Didn't we cover this once before in yeah. the fight podcast? Like, yeah, you like were I, definitely fighting. I was definitely but, not looking for fights, but, you know, when it's not, when you don't have to do too much to get out of them, you're like thinking, like, man, it really has been a while. And this guy's a fucking asshole. And, like, let's just see where this goes. You know what I mean? I was never looking for him. But, you know, people go looking for fights and you kind of gauge whether or not you think you could win this. And, you know, but it's been I a, remember a while. One night, like the weird thing about bartending in a college town, but it was Vermont, is like 30 minutes in any direction, you felt like you were in the, a colder version of the South. Like Vermont, you know, <laughs> shout out to Cat Lax, uh, losing to the Terps. I almost sent Van Pelt a joke text about the Terps because it was Maryland UVM, UVM's first time. Maryland was way better. They're so much faster. I don't know how in the whitest sport ever, Vermont still looks slower and whiter, <laughs> um, but it happened. So, uh, Anyway, shout out to Vermont. Great step for the program. But I was going to send Van Pelt sort of a text. Like, I don't know if you guys remember this, but when Purdue played Vermont in the tournament, they had me on Sports Center to like talk, right? And I go, you guys know, like, I'm not the the Catamount insider here. Like, I watch mostly NBA games or whatever. And they're like, no, it'll be fun. We're going to do this thing. So I was just like, Purdue has no idea what's coming for him. And of course, Purdue fans took it totally seriously. And I just kind of joked the idea, like, when you go to a school like Vermont and you don't have this tradition of of just the athletic part of it where you get to like proudly go yeah these, those are, that's my squad that's my like it's just different it's just different there it was a different vibe around campus actually athletically it's far more accomplished now with some of the other stuff although hockey was a lot better when i was there skiing incredible um there was a russian girl from siberia that moved there and she just dominated everybody she was like a robot and then i guess she started like dating and eating pasta and then the coach was like yeah she's she's done she's like when she came over from siberia she was amazing and now that she's been americanized it's over anyway uh i don't even know how i've gone this long on the story that doesn't make any sense but i was going to send a text to van pelt to be like man you know you guys are dead and then i remembered the van pelt like maryland rule like you can't joke about maryland even when it's a preposterous joke and he actually sent me back like a, a nasty text after they won. So I deleted my text to Van Pelt being like, I'm not even going to bother. I'm not even going to bother with this. And then he did bother and sent me something nasty about UVM. So I was like, wow, there you go. Lesson. Yeah, you can't. Van Pelt's not one of the guys that's going to let that slide. It, you could, it, it could be you. It could be a random on Twitter. Like that's getting a reply if you come across. Yeah, but I didn't I didn't I ended up not even sending anything to him. And then I got it back after. Then, of course, you just do this. You just go. We're an academic school, man. Like we don't worry about sports the way you guys Higher do. standards. Yeah, we just have different standards. That was kind of fun, though. Like you could say if you were a Vermont fan, you'd be like, whatever. Recruiting. You guys want to talk recruiting? Vermont doesn't do the stuff you guys do. We have to go on the road. All your bowl games are in the south, you know? Just all the stuff Ohio State fans do when they lose to SEC teams. Like, well, whatever. Bowl games. All right. Uh, okay. Well, wow. We went we went for a while there, folks. Six minutes before we get to the point. Okay, back to the email. Again, 27-64-240. Recently, my fiance and I had a cookout at our house on Sunday. We live in the Panhandle of Florida, so the weather is perfect. I don't know the Panhandle well. Don't know if I'll spend much time there. Don't know. A few spots left in the country that I don't know well. Panhandle's one of them. 
Warm during the day, cools down as the sun sets. A group of our good friends came over, which included some couples and a few who aren't in relationships. The party was awesome. Everyone behaved considering we all worked in... Oh, wait a minute. Everyone behaved considering we all worked in the morning. At about 8 p.m., one of the single guys asked me if I had any whiskey. I grabbed one of my middle shelf bottles and poured a few glasses for myself, him, and another guy. I didn't think it was the correct occasion to grab one of the expensive bottles because I figured we would have one or two apiece, one or two drinks apiece. Well, the guy who asked about the whiskey pounded his before we even get started. He decided to walk to my liquor cabinet and proceeded to pour himself a glass of one of my more expensive bottles without asking. It didn't truly bother me at first. I just kind of laughed it off until he went back for a second and then a third without asking. So this dude is four whiskeys deep, while myself and the other guy have only had one. (laughs) At 9.30, so this is an hour and a half, the guy's tanked one well, well, we're not going to say well whiskey, but a uh, middle shelf whiskey and then a three top shelf whiskeys. Um, so the guests start leaving, except the whiskey thief. By 1030, my fiance and I had cleaned up the whole house. We're ready to head to bed, but this guy was still there. I asked if he was okay to drive. I'm going to go ahead not. and tell you, probably no. Um, if he needed anything, offered him water, et cetera, but he proceeded to hang out. Finally, I said, hey, man, we're headed to bed. If you need to crash on the couch, that's cool. Just let yourself out whenever. He kind of looked offended that we were going to bed, but grabbed his keys and then asked, hey, can I take a bottle of wine? <gasps> My fiance and I just looked at each other because he didn't know what to say. We provided all the food and beer for the party, but some guests had brought bottles of wine as a courtesy. The whiskey thief asked for one of the bottles someone else brought us. We just said yes because we would figure it would make him leave. It did. Now the problem is we're planning another cookout with the same group of friends. We just we're just unsure about him. He made things awkward and the wine thing was weird. It's not that we don't like the guy in a professional setting, but obviously this put a bad taste in our mouth. He's always around and caught wind of our next cookout. So he asked about it. Not sure what the move is here. Do we invite him or not? Thanks, man. This was actually, I think, a week and a half ago. This email came in. You must be the nice. You and your wife are like sweethearts. You have to be from the Midwest, I'd imagine. Um, this guy would have gotten beaten up in other parts of the country for this kind of activity. So this, this is a no, like you didn't do anything wrong other than maybe giving a guy a bottle of wine that probably should have been dry. But at that point, he's kind of making that decision. You don't know him that well. I mean, here's the deal. It could be a one-off. It's not a great first impression here. I mean, if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt, say, Hey, maybe it's a one-off. He had a weird day. Something was going on, but I think I've been around this enough to know that this guy just really likes to put him back. And at that point, that was his only goal was just to keep drinking and drinking. And because he wants you to keep drinking. So he feels better about his drinking Um, to ask you to break out the top shelf stuff and then help himself and start pounding. Like he's drunk. Like when he asked you for the first, Hey, do you want to start firing up some whiskeys? He's already been primed and you may not realize that. Um, So now he's thinking like, I want to get to that next level and he starts asking about the whiskeys. And then at that point, it's just a, a, he's in his own lane of like, I just want to be shit faced now. So he, he was wrong all the way through. There's no part of this where you and your fiance were wrong. The only thing that you're wrong about is having an open mind about it. All right. And if you invite him to another one, cause it sounds like you're an incredibly forgiving couple here and you invite him to another one, then I guess if he does the same thing, you can confirm it and say, all right, we're done with this guy. I don't even know why you'd want to bring him to the second one. But look, it does happen. It can happen where a guy in a new setting, for whatever reason, maybe he hadn't gotten after in a while and it's a post-COVID breakout, so I don't want to assume anything. But I think you have two real options. This guy sucks and he also has an issue 
and he doesn't care because his deal is more important than everyone else, even though on a weeknight, we're talking a Sunday night going into a Monday, he wants to keep the party going and is annoyed when you tell him to leave your house and then asks for a parting gift after he already stole whiskey from you. Um, or, you know, he he just he let one get sideways from him. But if he hasn't reached out, if he has no self-awareness where he wasn't like, hey, I have no idea. Like, I just kind of got into it. Let the, the whiskey started tasting great. And next thing I know, like, my bad, my bad, my bad. It sounds like you want to give him another chance. But I think it, all, all of us listening to this know exactly where this guy is going to go. He's probably going to do something like this again. You should ask other friends like, hey, what's his deal? If everyone says, man, that's not like him at all, then give him a second chance. But I don't I don't think I don't think you're second chance deal here like it's going to turn into this guy's like awesome and it was just a weird night my <laughs> guess is that this is probably part of his routine really accommodating folks though man word i agree it seems like like if you want he sounds like he wants to let him go and he's like part of a friend's group and yeah so if he's catching wind when nobody's telling like he's not telling the the whiskey thief if he's like already hearing about this thing then like yeah, it's probably easier to just see if he'll do it again, but like be primed and be ready to stand up for yourself. If you're like, hmm, should I like tell him to not go into my fucking house and cabinets? Yeah, then tell him that. I think it's easier when you know it's coming. Yeah, I mean, I had a party once and I had like staggered. I mean, it's probably the only adult party I've had that was good. Saruti was there. It was a Kentucky Derby party. Oh, yeah. We rented a pony. People dressed up. We had a professional catering. We had a professional bartender. We did step and repeat. We did the whole thing up. And I actually remember like I hid bottles of Vuv in my bedroom because I wanted a, I wanted a peak to it. You know what I mean? Like I wanted it to be kind of at this level. And then the great thing about that party, it was a derby party. We rented the horse. Everybody's having a good time. And then there was like a second tier of that party within the party. So there was like a second party where I started DJing and then, you know, it was on and we just, we just let it go. But there was a guest who I had mentioned to, I was like, Hey, we get some voo for later for the champagne part of this, but let's, let's pace ourselves here. A lot going on. And, uh, she went to my bedroom and came out with two bottles of voo and was like, can we open the voo? <laughs> and I was just so like, this is so annoying. Like it's fucking annoying. I'll never forget the tone. That's exactly the notes too. Hey, can we open the vuv? And it was like, you already went into my bedroom, which was closed, took the bottles out. I don't even know how the hell she knew they were in there, actually. Now that I'm thinking that's about it out my next loud. Question. And did you yeah, say I, anything or did you, were you like this guy? Like, I was nah, like, that just, sucks. No, I was, <laughs> no, I was just like, whatever. I was like, yeah, go ahead. Like open them up. Um, oh, you know what I must have done? I must have iced them and put them in my bedroom to keep them away from everybody because I didn't want everybody to drink them immediately. Because um, you can see with champagne, that's where things can go sideways a little bit earlier. People don't, sometimes it's like, oh, wait, I just drank way too much of this way too fast. I guess, is it that ridiculous to just maybe rearrange your liquor cabinet though and just hide the good stuff when you have, a, like, I think a lot of people do that anyway. Like that usually if there's like a big party, they don't put out like the good whiskeys in like the cooler on the outside or something that stuff is usually in a closet somewhere where people don't know where it is so i don't think that's that big of a deal if the guy was creeping you out i think that's a little bit weird too but i also don't think it's that weird for him to ask for a bottle of wine on the way home because typically when you have a party too you've got all these leftover bottles that end up sitting there and as someone who like has done that before they end up sitting in your house and you throw them out because you don't drink them and they expire or they go bad or if one's half opened like it's kind of a disaster you're left over with like a million different beers and alcohol things that you're never going to drink in the future so i actually don't mind him asking for a bottle of wine on the way home 
Yeah, but you, it's not about the wine. It's about the fact that like he doesn't want to leave and it's a Sunday night and you're there with your fiance being like, we got to get up early. In the yeah, morning. but if a bottle of wine gets him out the door, sure, dude, take it. Go ahead. <sighs> yeah. I mean, beyond the obvious part, like there's no way this guy should have been driving. <laughs> yeah. uh, I had a couple of friends. I guess I probably would have been at this point 35 and they wanted to stay at my place for a concert, which again, I think when you're 35, okay, maybe, but you also could probably get a hotel room. And I was just trying to be like, yeah, I got this new apartment. It's great go ahead, check it out. And they opened up an unopened bottle of Blue Label, Johnny Walker, which I just had had as a gift. And I, you know, I just, it's not the way, like, I just wouldn't sit around and be like, oh, I'm going to have one of these tonight or whatever. Like it would have had to have been for whatever reason. I don't know. And it was kind of like, there was a million other things to choose from that were all nice things from the home bar. And they were like, now we're going to like, to prove a point, we're going to open that one and then have them. And it was a close friend too, but I remember being like, that's just lame. Like you just did it because it was, oh, like it's Johnny Walker. Like let's drink those. And so whatever. It was one of the last times. I also think some other weird stuff went down. I think they met some street performers that were girls in the street outside of the concert and they stayed in my couch. I don't know. When I came back, uh, some neighbors were like, hey, what the hell happened in there this weekend? I was like, I don't know. I was in Alabama. Wow. Yeah. Right. I was like, yeah, I think I was. Yeah, that was like the last time because I even asked, I go, what the hell went on when I was gone that weekend? He's like, dude, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that was like the only answer I got. And I think that might have been the last time I let uh, I let anyone stay in my apartment. Okay, all right. Um, Let's keep this theme rolling today on a Monday slash Tuesday. Okay, we'll stay with the theme here. uh, Five, ten, one eighty. Guys getting married late summer. Fiance and I are debating two people on the guest list. We plan on having a smaller wedding, 50 to 70 people, uh, 50 to 70 at a very nice Michelin star restaurant. Two of our friends, guy and a girl, I guess they're not together here, are both very sweet people. We get along with them a lot. The girl even gave us Tiffany champagne glasses as an engagement gift, which was way more than anyone else did. The issue is the girl's a raging alcoholic. Uh, we had a small get together at 3 p.m. at our place and she showed up completely hammered. Anytime we go out with the group, she will be making out with random guys. She's dating a married guy as well, because of course she is. When she's sober, she's the nicest, sweetest person, but we will be having an open bar. And this is a really classy place. Plus, our bosses will be there. So we're talking bride and groom's bosses. We both work at a large uh, firm that is prestigious. We thought of maybe cluing in the bartender to limit her drinks. That's not going to work. Um, but I just thought we should invite her and deal with the awkwardness afterwards. We can blame it on the fact that it's a small, intimate wedding, although our mutual friends will be invited, so she probably will see through that, but whatever. The guy is in a similar situation, but instead of booze, it involves uh, going to the bathroom a lot. Hmm. Sounds like this guy could have a prostate issue. To each his own, but we are worried. Uh, one of our bosses or family members will walk into the bathroom and see him in all his glory, which is definitely something we don't want to or be associated with. What are your thoughts on potential troublesome guests? I'll hang up and listen. Uh, yeah, it's a bummer, man. I mean, look, um, we start here. Uh, both the the girl that wants to drink is going to drink. All right. She's not going to go like, Hey, you know, depending on, depending on, you know, where you at, there's all sorts of different levels of, of people's, um, drinking habits here, but there are the people that can, you know, only go out and get hammered. And then there are the people that could do that, but then can still pull it together for a wedding. And then there's people like, look, there's probably more than the categories I'm thinking of, but I think most of us at certain points, if you've been around long enough, you're going to have somebody in the group that is incapable of any of those things. You couldn't go 
to a fucking oil change without the guy turning into a disaster after an hour. All right. If there were a bar there. So um, it sucks and it sucks to see it happen to your friends or loved ones. Um, but it, it's probably happened to most of us. So she's there's you could do whatever you want. Other guys are going to be. It sounds like if she starts making out with random guys and dating somebody married, there's definitely going to be another guy at the wedding that's going to be buying her all the drinks she wants. Um, so, you know, that part, as far as the other guy going to the bathroom all the time and doing drugs, I think you're totally within your bounds of being like, Hey, you know what? We'd rather you not do that. But the chances are, if that's his deal, then he's going to do it at some point, no matter what. So asking these people to not do these things is a complete waste of time. I had a friend who did get married and he did like to get after it. Um, just on the drinking front, nothing else. And he was asked by his wife. They're like, hey, is there any way you can not drink at your own wedding? And he said, um, he's like, I actually was thinking of bringing it up. And he didn't drink at his own wedding. And, you know, we were all, I think we were, it was, that's the other thing too, is like where you were at in the timeline is kind of like, all right, what were your habits in college? What was your friend group like? Were you guys that went out all the time? And then there's always that awkward, like five years after college where you're still like, you're still the guy, but you're supposed to be a grown up, but you're not really. Um, and every social part of your deal is always wrapped around like, well, how, how drunk are we getting? Right? Like, all right, we're just going out or we're going to this guy's house or it's this weekend or it's this golf trip. And you're still kind of like, well, that's what I did. And for some people, it's like a really hard habit to break. Cause you're like, well, wait a minute. I went out Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then like Saturday, I was a little tired, but maybe we just hang out, do some day beers and all that kind of stuff. Right? So we all, we, those, those that get the point, get the point. Others that don't are listening to this, perhaps even horrified. And, you know, I would say this isn't about, um, anyone's well, it is about choices, but it's also more about your surroundings. Like a lot of times you just kind of look around and be like, oh, this is kind of what my deal is because this is who I'm associated with. So anyway, um, this guy who got married and didn't drink just basically knew like he couldn't drink and that was his own wedding. So I guess that was kind of a side, but not the case here. If you're that worried about it, especially with the guy who wants to do drugs all the time, I don't think you're wrong in not inviting him. I, there's some people listening to this that are going, why did you take that long to even say that? That's the only option here. But it does hurt people's feelings to not get invited to something that they're expecting to get invited to. Um, and, you know, there are fringe people. There's a couple of weddings that I didn't get invited to where I was like, oh, I guess I guess I'm on the fringe on that one. And then you kind of like look around at the rest of it and be like, hey, you know, what? I haven't been in the picture, though, with this group at all for like five or six years. You know, there was also a phase where I had broken up with somebody, so she was getting invited to everything, and then everybody was like, there's no way we're bringing Rosillo to this mid-20s me um, when she's going to be there with this new guy that was also in the circle of friends, so, like, he's out. And it sucked that nobody had the balls to tell me that, but I'd have to figure it out after the fact. Um, but it's a shitty feeling. It's a shitty feeling, but it's a feeling that goes away. And if those people are being honest with themselves, they're also going to know that, like, hey, I didn't get invited because... I always get drunk or I didn't get invited because I'm a complete cocaine wild card. And the fact that they are those things is not your fault, right? It has nothing to do with you. So if you have any anxiety about this, I would not invite either of them, especially the boss part and the drugs deal. I mean, somebody's going to get drunk at a wedding. It's not the biggest deal in the world. You know I mean? It, it does happen. There's going to be weddings this weekend where people are going to make terrible decisions. But there's a small part of this that probably isn't going to you know, teach anyone a lesson, but who knows? It could be kind of like a wake up call to one of the two where you're like, man, I didn't get invited to so-and-so's wedding because I just, I get too shit faced or because I always like to do drugs. 
You know, there's a, there's a weird, I don't know if it's a silver lining or any part of a wake up call. Probably not. It would probably have to be way worse than just not getting invited to a wedding for somebody to want to clean up their act if that's their case. Um, and that's, you know, not me counseling on any part of that, but, um, I, you know, there's another girl that I was seeing who definitely liked to get after it. And I thought I was getting invited to this wedding and then I didn't get invited because of her. And I was like, yeah, that's whatever. I was like, that's fair. <laughs> whatever, you know? So the other, like you, it's you getting married. It's your day. It's your wife's day. And you, I don't get too caught up in worrying about everybody else's feelings about whether or not they're going to be in a deal where 50 to seven is actually really small. So you can do that and lie about it. Say, yeah, it was really small. And then they'll see somebody they're, you're less of friends with. And then it was a really nice gift. But, um, you know, it's your day. It's your day. You shouldn't have to kind of juggle this stuff, even though, I mean, this one thing when you have like divorced parents, right? And you're like, oh, could I sit here or where could I sit there? Like if I ever get married, like I can't invite one of the parents. One will have to not be at my wedding. That's unavoidable. This is just some girl that makes out with people after a couple of sarsaparillas. Like, you don't, what are your allegiance to her? A gift? So um, there you go. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. We got a great week. Awesome guests throughout. A couple big things planned again, um, kind of along the lines of um, not the ABA and NFL stuff, but we just have, yeah, we have some other things that we're working on on the side. And, and when they're ready to go, we'll, uh, we'll release them probably this summer. So please subscribe. As always, Ryan Russillo Podcast. Thank you to Steve Cerruti and Big Daddy Kyle Crichton. 63250. What's up, kid? This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.